0: Have you ever written a letter to yourself? Have you ever sent it to yourself maybe a month later or maybe 12 months later just to see if you've learned or remembered something important? It's often done in schools after a year 12 graduation or after people have done a professional development course just to see how closely we've held to our our deepest values or to see if we've grown past old hurts or insecurities. If you're a believer in Christ, and I presume you probably are this morning, I want you to imagine that you wrote this letter to yourself shortly after your conversion to the faith. And then years pass. Life happens and you grow up. You complete your education and you progress in your career. You you get married and you probably have kids. You experience all those joys and all those challenges, all the successes and the, fit and the setbacks that we have. You build wealth, you pay your bills, you enjoy leisure time and you get older. Then one day, a letter turns up in the mail. It's old and it's stained, it's postmarked, it's been all around the world. It's addressed to you. And you sit down and you open it and you're delighted because no one writes letters to you anymore no one does that it's exciting and as you read it as you read the first line you suddenly realize oh that's that letter I wrote to myself all those years ago as a challenge as an encouragement to never forget never forget who you are and what you have in Christ well here's my letter. Dear Colin, chosen by God, exiled and an alien in this world, oh my soul are you praising God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because in his great mercy He's given you new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead Colin, you've already been given an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Do you believe that? Do you realise that through your faith you're shielded by God's power? Are you greatly rejoicing in that fact? Because you should be. Even though you have to suffer trials and griefs of many kind, Colin, you must remember that those trials are coming and have come to prove the genuineness of your faith, but they will result in praise, honour and glory to Jesus. How incredible is that? Non-Christians won't think like that, but you must. So have faith despite all appearances you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your soul so my heart rejoice and be encouraged have you ever written a letter like that to yourself or prayed scripture like that to yourself because we should this passage today 1 Peter 1 is a model prayer for all believers And as Andrew was pointing out, it contains some really, really firm core truths of our faith. Mercy, resurrection of the body, eternal inheritance, and a shielding over our lives. Such amazing gifts from God. And that should rejoice. That should result, I should say, in praise, rejoicing endurance and hope. And do you know what those gifts mean in your life? Have you read and understood what the manual says those things are for you? Speaking of reading and understanding the manual, it's something I rarely do. I leased, bought a new car nine months ago, a Subaru Outbacker sitting out there. But I've never sat down and read the manual. I'm only still discovering all the features it's got. I don't even know what I have. The other day, um, I was fumbling around for my keys uh, near the car. I couldn't quite find which pocket they left them in. I'm standing next to the car and suddenly I hear it open. Apparently, my car has proximity door opening devices built into it. I didn't know that. I was driving along on the freeway and I uh, started coming towards some cars my car just started slowing down suddenly it's got built-in proximity safety devices i didn't know that my point is that we need to know and we need to understand what it is we've already received in christ because that knowledge is there to empower us to live effectively as chosen people as exiles as aliens scattered throughout the world Where we don't belong. And when griefs and trials come our way, that knowledge, that truth should change the way that we respond in those hardships. Well, speaking of knowledge and truth, here's the prevailing untruth in our world. I wonder if you've ever read a Matthew Riley novel. He's an Australian author who writes swashbuckling adventures that are very, very easy to read. He wrote one some years ago called the five greatest warriors and it's been some years since I read it but I'll never forget this one of the great warriors from history was Jesus Christ and Matthew Riley's character goes searching for the tomb of Jesus Christ and finds it and he digs down and gets to it and takes the cover off and there is the holy body of Jesus the bones of Jesus emanating love and wisdom but very very dead What rubbish! What utter bunkum! It's it's affronting to the Christian faith to believe anything like that. A dead Jesus is no faith at all. Christians have to object to that kind of thinking. You ever notice that the world admires the thought of Jesus? They like the idea that he was loving. They love the golden rule that Jesus taught. Do unto others. As you have, uh, you would have d- done to you, but don't talk to me about the resurrection, because that's rot, says the world. Well, it's not rot. One Peter one verse three, our passage today, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This whole passage, the whole of 1 Peter, the whole of the New Testament and the Bible for that matter, hangs on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If Matthew Riley is right, if Jesus, the man of love, really is very much dead in a tomb in ancient Jerusalem somewhere, then we have no hope, no hope whatsoever none but with the perfect sacrificial death of jesus we know that all of our sin and rebellion against god has been fully paid for and upon confession of faith we were reborn into new life and not just so that we can live out our days peacefully and then just die no jesus the sinless sacrifice was raised to life death had no hold over him he physically rose to life again as a man with the scars of crucifixion clearly visible on his body and his resurrection is our promise of resurrection as well at my physical death which will come god will not hold my sin against me i'll be declared pure And perfect because my life is now hidden with Christ and so I am promised a bodily resurrection from the dead that is my living hope that's your living hope it's a promise it's guaranteed no one can take it from me you cannot lose it it cannot be stolen from us Nothing that happens to you or me in this life can take that promise away. And so, therefore, we can say, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for his great mercy. There's nothing greater than that. I could sit down now because that could be the sermon done there. Praise be to God for a new birth into a living hope. I think one of the greatest dangers for us Christians is over-familiarity with the concept of salvation and the concept of eternal life. And the other great danger is an underwhelming concept of what that eternal life will be like. This is true of the church in the Western world, especially white middle-class Australians, especially us. The greatest evil that we, that you or I can face in this life is not poverty or unemployment or a lack of career progression. It's not like all the ads on, on, on TV say if you haven't got the right insurance. It's not financial insecurity. It's not uh, a lack of a retirement nest egg. Nor is it a lack of leisure time. Now as tough as those things might be, None of them are anywhere near as tragic as a person who lives and dies without Christ. And we have to rewrite our minds and hearts, friends, because here's the truth. The man or woman who's led a full life, who's enjoyed good health and enjoyed lots of good things and who dies at a ripe old age without trusting in Jesus, Has lost everything. Yes, they have. They've lost everything. I don't know about you but I sometimes watch uh, the TV show called Grand Designs. Uh, I don't know if I just like Kevin MacLeod's voice. I think I like the word bespoke. Um, I like the English countryside because the grass just glows green. there's a new series out, uh, he's, he's back to his best, it's, and I watched an episode last week. So the new series, episode two, we meet uh, Greg and Georgie from Kent. And it's a real tearjerker story. story. Uh, both Greg and Georgie are cancer survivors with high ongoing health risks. Some of you may have seen this episode. Greg is determined in this episode to get the house finished quickly, so they can enjoy the precious time they have together and one reviewer of the episode says this build is proof that determination will win out and dreams are achievable kevin mcleod himself when he summarizes the episode at the end uh says these words i won't do his accent this build represents the triumph of hope over adversity hope against all odds now i watched that story and i had tears in my eyes and i had a lump in my throat i did because i longed for greg and georgie to have the happy ending to get the house finished before something bad happened and i suppose if that is the ultimate goal of your life to get your dream home built Uh, By yourself and to live in it, then it was a triumph of hope over adversity. But we know it was not a living hope. We can so easily fall for the lie that our dream home or our dream holiday or our dream career is the greatest achievement that we can have. I mean lifestyle TV shows depend on it. They depend on that thinking. But deep down, we all know that that fabulous house is not permanent. It could burn down. That career could end. Cancer could come back and take Greg or Georgie or both of them. Two years' time, 10 years' time, even 50 years' time, they will die. And they cannot take anything with them. Now, I'm not condemning home ownership. Obviously not nor am I condemning self build masterpieces. They're, they're fabulous works. We all have to live somewhere, and I'm particularly thankful that my house got built by a guy who seemed to know what he was doing. That was Paul Dickinson, by the way, who built my house. <laughs> Rather, I'm seeking to highlight the profound difference between a temporary hope and a living, enduring hope a living hope which causes us to greatly rejoice and to praise God. A living hope gives hope to the living. A living hope gives hope to the living. Let's move on to look at verses 4 and 5 and to look at an inheritance which is also different. It's unlosable and it's imperishable. Particularly important to those first century Christians scattered all over Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. They needed this new birth into a living hope because life was hard. It was hard for everyone in the ancient world I imagine and life expectancy was pretty short all round but as Christians living in a hostile world where they were aliens and scattered they, they risked losing their life savings And their possessions and their inheritance even their lives at any time. I expect we all got a pretty clear concept of inheritance here that process whereby when someone passes away or when we get prepared for that that uh, eventuality by way of a legal document we will our property to whomever we so desire usually our children but sometimes it's to a friend or it's to a, a charity and in most cases, that property is, in fact, property. It's land, or it's a house, buildings, cars, stocks, bonds, or cash. Either way, nearly always those things can be exchanged for cash. You may have received an inheritance yourself. I'm sure you get the picture. But of course, anything that, is, that can be converted to be ca- into cash can be stolen. It could be lost it can be squandered away it might devalue or it might simply just wear out over the course of time I mean some things like property values down here at least are increasing rapidly with time but even they are perishable we know that the inheritance promised to believers here in verse 4 is very different to what we'd expect this one this inheritance can never perish boil or fade can't be stolen no one can confiscate it it won't degrade with age it won't vanish if the bank suddenly collapses or if a disaster strikes so what's the inheritance exactly and at this point I think you might disagree at this point I think Christians often falter because we don't exactly know we can't see exactly what this eternal inheritance is precisely, other than it's indestructible and we haven't got it yet. And so I wonder if we run the risk of devaluing what we don't know, or it becomes so vague in our thinking to become undesirable, perhaps, or even inconsequential. Just for a moment, think about this. What's the stereotypical image you have in your mind of heaven? Is it anything like this? Not sure if you can see that with your glasses. A bunch of people arriving in heaven, and there's an angel, an oversized angel, uh, handing out harps on a fluffy white cloud. Here's your harp. Welcome to heaven. And in the back of their mind, these new people in heaven are thinking, well, at least we're not in hell receiving an accordion uh, for all eternity. But I would actually change that to say in hell it's probably a kindergarten recorder for all eternity. Is that your image of heaven or hell? Now, look, it's probably not quite as worldly or pathetic as that. Thank you. but I wonder, what is it in your mind that you picture all of eternity is like? Sitting around in a cloud with a harp, singing hymns, nothing else? Some time ago, I must have expressed a similar thought to my father-in-law because he got concerned and he went out and bought me this book It's called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. You might have come across it. I'm still working my way through it. But it's greatly challenged my flawed thinking about eternity, about the resurrected life and where we go and what we do for all of eternity. And as I've been reading through it, I keep thinking back to my reading of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I imagine you've read them or you know of them. If you ask me for what my favorite book of that seven book series was I nearly always say well I do always say number one the magician's nephew followed by number three the horse and his boy but nearly always I'd say my least favorite of the Narnia series is number seven the last battle and it's only in the reading of this book that I've realized why let me take you into the world of Narnia for just a moment in the magician's nephew, Aslan the Great Lion, the archetype of Jesus, sings creation into being. He creates the world, the magical world of Narnia. And then in books two, three, four, five, and six, all these wonderful adventures take place in the wonderful world of Narnia. But book seven, the last battle, is just so sad. Everything goes wrong one by one all the great heroes throughout the story are defeated or killed or thrown through the stable door to meet their doom it's just depressing and i've always felt uneasy with this story because of the inevitability of impending doom it just marches on and on and on seemingly getting worse and worse and worse and i just don't want narnia to end and it goes on and on and on until page 126 only 47 pages from the back cover the story is almost over Tyrion the last king of Narnia who's lost everything he's ever known and held dear in that world steps through that door the door of death and suddenly finds himself blinking because he and himself everything around himself is now suddenly transformed in awe he and his friends whom he had thought were lost find themselves in a new Narnia a brighter better bigger more wonderful and amazing Narnia than ever before and they find themselves now in the presence of the one true king Aslan the great lion who then transforms into Jesus who welcomes them in and tells them that they will never have to leave and he will never leave them and here's the final words of the book the whole series these are the final words all their life in this world and all their adventures in the old Narnia had only been the front cover and the title page Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and and in which every chapter is better than the one before. Now I'm well aware that's a kids book written in 1956 and I'm well aware of its limitations but I challenge you as I challenge myself to have a much bigger, brighter view of your eternal inheritance. Search your Bibles, don't take my word for it. Search your Bibles and feast on the wonderful promises God gives us because we love Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that giver of salvation to those who love him. And imagine every day when a, a place where Jesus himself dwells. With his people forever in the new earth in the new jerusalem the earth as it was always meant to be with every good thing for us to enjoy and to do let that truth let that awesome inheritance give you a living hope in this life now that's the purpose of knowing that we have it now well until that great and glorious day, which stretches on forever, God has got some refining to do in us. Verses 6-7, to seven, my other favourite TV show, Forged in Fire. My wife groans when this show comes on TV. And I've now, found it on S- S- I've now found it on SBS On Demand, so I can watch back-to-back episodes now as well. Forged in Fire, what is it? it's a it's a tv show for contestants who are blacksmiths how good does that sound these blacksmiths which they actually call bladesmiths even better battle it out to forge a knife or a sword from scratch they soften the metal they pound it and they shape it and all these impurities are burnt off and scale gets scraped off and they heat treat the blade by plunging it into oil to harden it and at the end of the forging period they present their blades to the judges. Four blades which if they've done it right are nicely sharp sharpened and shaped and polished with ornate handles and they're all laid side by side and they all often look equally impressive. But it's during the testing that the quality or the genuineness of the bladesmithing will be proven. That's the point. Now the blades have to be tested. They have to go through the strength test and the sharpness test. One of the judges is famous for saying, will it cut? Will it kill? So some of the swords during testing, are are not properly bonded. They delaminate. When they whack that oak barrel, the steel just splits apart into layers. Some of them are not heat treated properly. The metal looks shiny, it looks sharp, but when they whack that oak barrel, it just folds in half. Some blades are brittle. When they're put to the test, when they hit that oak barrel, they literally snap in half or they shatter. Turns out there's a reason why they're wearing safety glasses on the show. And some swords look, sharp, look look straight, look shiny, great handle, they hit that target and they do nothing, they're blunt, they are not effective whatsoever. It's through the testing that praise, glory and honour rightly goes to the bladesmith, whose weapon lasts, whose weapon stands up to all that, all those demanding tests it's put through. In the hands of the forged in fire champion, the metal forging is proven genuine. It's strong, it's durable, it's fast, it's sharp, it's an effective weapon in the hands of the warrior. And I'm so glad that I'm justified in watching that show with a sermon illustration like that. Think about how the early church felt about suffering all grief, all kinds of grief in all kinds of trials. Do you think they liked it? Do we enjoy suffering grief in all kinds of trials? I highly doubt it. But here's the encouragement for us in verse 7 these have come that's grief in all kinds of trials so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes ultimately even though refined by fire so that may result in praise glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed it's so that our faith may be proven genuine we are that lump of metal god's the blacksmith the bladesmith Forging us into powerful and effective blades for his service. And he tests us, he tests our faith time and time again, proving the quality of his work in us. So be encouraged by suffering in your faith. We're being refined and tested. Our faith is being proved genuine. The message is to not give up, to press on to receive the goal. In the hands of the Saviour, we too can be declared the forged-in-fire champion and receive far more than just a cheque for US dollars On our way, verses 8 and 9 are a great encouragement to persevere. Though you've not seen him, you love him. That's faith. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For your receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. There is nothing greater in this life than salvation. And verses 10 to 12 are another encouragement, the example of the prophets. Concerning this salvation, verse 10, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you They searched intently and with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who've preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then we're told an amazing thing. Even the angels long to look into these things about how salvation would be won and revealed. Now, there are many, many Old Testament prophets we could speak of. I'll speak of two. I marvel at the prophet Daniel, given an amazing vision of the glorified Jesus while still personally an exile himself in Babylon. And how he longed. To know the details of when God would bring these great events about. He searched the Scriptures. He faithfully recorded everything he saw and heard. And who knows? Scholars wonder, I often wonder, was it through reading Daniel's scrolls that the Magi from the East, from Babylon region, went all the way, centuries later to Bethlehem, following a shining star? And the prophecy of Daniel, And Micah 5 to find the coming of the Saviour King. They longed for these things, for our benefit. Job 19 is another great example of an Old Testament prophet who longed for the Saviour. If you uh, have time you can look it up now or later. Job 19 25 to 27, an amazing little passage, incredibly encouraging prophecy, given to a man in abject suffering, the height of his misery. He really was being forged in fire, that guy. In the face of relentless criticism by his so-called friends, Job prophesied this in verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Verse 26. And after my skin or my body has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, my resurrected flesh, I will see God. I myself will see Him with these own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. What a great encouragement that is. One of the oldest books in the Bible. Looking forward to a resurrected body. Physically in the presence of the resurrected Lord, together, face to face. How my heart yearns for that, says Job. These prophets lived a long time before Jesus. But see how they yearned for salvation, for the Redeemer to come. In person, resurrected, face to face. So be encouraged is the message of 1 Peter 1. God is working His salvation then and now even though we're exiles in this world even though we're scattered even though we know we're different we're just like them our faith is being proved genuine by testing and our new birth is certain and secure our inheritance kept safe in heaven so don't give up persevere even through grief and sufferings of many trials persevere and brothers and sisters heed this message don't be satisfied with the homes and the holidays and the careers that we craft for ourselves here you'll have a mansion in heaven ten times better than anything on grand designs. you'll have whole universes to explore you have all ecosystems on earth to explore and to enjoy. Far better, far bigger than this world. Resist the lie that the world has bought that this is all that there is. Let me close with an encouragement from 1 Peter. Sorry, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. A couple of verses here. 1 Timothy 6 17 says command those who are rich in the present world that's us not to put their arrogant not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and be generous and be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Friends, there's a wonderful letter of encouragement waiting for you every time you pick up 1 Peter chapter 1. I encourage you to personalise it. Write it to yourself. Or perhaps, maybe even this afternoon, sit in the sun and write a letter, rewrite this letter to someone who needs encouragement, someone who's suffering with struggles and trials. Or maybe even write, it to, write this letter to someone you know who loves this life too much, someone who loves their possessions too much. Someone who doesn't want to let go of this life. Write it to someone who needs reassurance of the incredible inheritance that awaits them. Someone who needs a much, much bigger vision of our eternal reward. Will you bow with me in prayer now and pray for the right insight into who might need that encouragement today? Let's pray. Praise be to the Lord and Father of Jesus Christ who has given us new birth into a living hope and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. O oh Lord, write, write the message of this deeply onto our hearts. Score it into our minds so that we remember it day by day and that we do not take on board the lie of this world that this is all there is may that great truth empower us to live for you in this world father put on our hearts and minds right now people who need that encouragement to persevere through tough trials but also lord people who also need to let go of their attachment to this world and crave a better resurrection a better reward for all eternity. May we, your people, encourage each other to persevere all for the praise and honour and glory of your Son who won us salvation through his sacrifice. Praise be to God. Amen.